May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I ran into a theological quandary right before Christmas. It was about my niece, Jolene, perfect and pink and bald as ever at 14 months old. Her sister, or my sister, her mom, uh, who like the rest of my family is completely uh, disinterested at best with religion, uh, texted me out of the blue with a question. Did I think Jolene ought to be baptized? You might think I had a very simple answer to this, but have you ever known a philosophy major and asked a question like, what can I be sure of? <laughs> or have you known anyone who tends to overshare and asked them, how are you? <laughs> or maybe asked a group of Memphians, hey, I'm in Memphis for 24 hours and what barbecue place should I eat at? Well. In other words, I was afraid I'd sprain a thumb in my text answer back to her. So, and of course, more than that, I do know that questions like this, and it's a general rule that questions like this, are never about finding the rule book's answer and are mostly about the asker herself. So I said I'd love to hear what she was thinking about over Christmas if she wanted to talk about it. Christianity differs in its answer on baptism, depending on where you've been at, in time and place. Here's what our different voices agree on, though. Baptism is an entrance rite into a community, a Christian community. You go under the waters, and it's more than a cleansing, it's dying to the old life, and then to be regenerated into this new one identifying with Christ and his baptism, as we read today, but to die as he did too, in order to be raised like he was, and now, after this happens, to live in community with others who have done the same thing. But some have doubted its efficacy. What if that new resurrected life seems suspiciously like that old life after, before baptism? I had a friend in seminary who had been baptized no less than 18 times, something loud and even encouraged in his former tradition, hoping for the occasion where it would stick and make him new. Now, most of the time, by a majority of folks, you know, Christendom has affirmed one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. But the problem remains what to do with our tendency to solely our newly gleaming souls. At one particularly confused point in history, people would wait for their deathbeds in order to be baptized. That way, uh, they'd die before they had much of a chance to get back into trouble. <laughs> that one's a little hard to predict, though, isn't it? And if you recovered from your deathbed after baptism, well, there goes your one shot. Now, infant baptism, which we will have today, you might have gathered, <laughs> uh, seems to have been customary as early as the second century, though some do argue that this has been an occurrence since the inception of the church as entire households converted to the faith as we read in Acts. 
Of course, this becomes particularly pressing after Augustine comes around in the fourth century and develops the doctrine of original sin, right? Officially, then, babies became in danger of dying in a state of unrepentance as much as the rest of us. And given infant mortality rates at the time, that danger was paramount. My sister, for the record, said that she believes Jolene is a complete innocent in, need, in no need of repentance. Statement we might all be all right with and here. Though I, I'll be honest, I was a little incl less inclined to believe it after watching Joe delight in chasing and tormenting our dogs uh, for two days. <laughs> or when she knew she wasn't to be supposed to like, get into the Christmas tree and you'd catch her with her hand in it and you'd say, Jolene, and she'd pull her hand back and smile real big. <laughs> like, she's got this figured out already. <laughs> Maybe it's just my family. So if it's not this, what about this entrance into Christian community? To tell a secret between you and me here and our YouTube channel, I want nothing more than to baptize Jolene, to put this holy water onto her head and pronounce her Christ's own forever to envelop her in this connection to God and to us and the communion of saints, to impart to her that dark knowledge that she will one day pass from this life into death and then on to a mysterious new life, that she would grow knowing that this gift that she'd been given was indelible, absolute, given to her before her own memory in the same way that her family's love has been given to her, to define her like her own name will. My pause was this. If the intention was not to enter into Christian community, could I advise them to do it? All the way up to the prayer book of 1662, uh, the question you affirmed on uh, your baptismal covenants, or if you were the parent or godparents on behalf of these children, was this. Wilt thou then obediently keep God's holy will and commandments and walk in the same all the days of, they life, of thy life? We're more specific now. We broke that sort of general statement into five simple questions about what it means to do this, to obediently keep God's holy will and commandments. We ask first, Will you devote yourself to Christian teaching, fellowship, the Eucharist? The answers are simple. I will or I won't. So what about the won'ts? We reach there something that most Christians struggle with at some point. What about those who won't or don't? Seaman Vale was a brilliant woman, a French Christian mystic who died in the 1940s, and she died of a willful sort of malnutrition. She refused to have anything more to eat than the French troops on the front lines of the war had. That was one instance of her very deep conviction that God came to identify with the poorest and the lowest among us, and so she would too, in a state of self-denial. A self-emptying, like God's, and one so costly it would take her life, as it did the life of Christ. 
But this identification with the poorest and lowest also made Simon Veil refuse baptism, interestingly enough. She was Christian, yes, and I, I mean, I would argue a saint. But to her, baptism would separate her from those on the outside, the unsaved, the untended, the babies who never had a chance, the multitudes who had never heard the gospel. She would not join a club and become one of the chosen. She would stay with the outsiders. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm guessing that the average Episcopalian would elect for baptism, even having some sort of compassion for those sentiments, I think, and maybe wouldn't see this baptism as an exclusion for others. To each their own, you might say. Or something about many paths to God, Christian baptism being one of them, and that's good. But that answer never really satisfied me much. It seemed to take the impetus out of the action. What I've thought, and this is the point where the preacher grows rightfully ashamed of attempting to argue with an intellectual giant like Simon Vale. But here uh, I am unable to help myself. I've thought about all we've heard in scripture about God choosing a certain people or electing a specific group. Is that this chosenness is always on behalf of someone else. That God says, I choose you, Israel. For what? to be a light to the nations. That somehow everyone in the world would see the glory of God because you were chosen, not for your sake, but for the sake of the rest of us. You and me brought in because they were chosen. And this is a pattern, if we can tell anything from scripture about God's calling, that it doesn't come to the special or the talented or the clever but through something you'd almost call God's whimsy or pleasure. And it's always given in order that others would find their chosenness too. So it's not a club at all, but a holy responsibility. And indeed, this is something of like what we claim when we baptize babies, that the parents and the godparents and everyone in this room, all chosen by God, to act as lights for these little lives, to find their way through this confusing and wounded world into the promise given to them, to us, to all of creation, that they could know God. And sometimes they could do it by just looking around.